What does it mean Messiah matters? It means apart from him we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the only way of salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing. Basically, it's all about the Messiah. It's Wednesday, October 3rd, 2018. This is Messiah Matters number 236. Currently reading more books than I can keep track of. My name is Caleb Hegg. And with me, the man who forgot he has to present on the Holy Spirit in just one month, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going? I just figured out how to do the emojis. Oh, great. <laughs> that means he's already in the chat room and he's already not paying attention to me. <laughs> oh, hey, I, I wonder if I have a little bit of ADD. Just a little? Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> what's up man <clears throat> i feel like we haven't talked really it's we been a, haven't it's been a we got so obviously on monday it was a shabbat right because it was the last day of, uh, of sukkot or mm-hmm. it was the eighth day the eighth day yeah that's right and uh so we didn't talk then and then yesterday tuesday we only talked for a few seconds that's right here we are how was sukkot man it was really great it, it was uh it's such a great lesson well there you know all the one thing we've been talking about locally here is how the feast days are kind of like our catechism we've talked about that before on the show our, right. our curriculum for learning and every year we we rehearse the same lessons and meditate on the same truths about god and his plan and salvation as we go through the year and you can't you can't you can't sit down and and touch and touch on everything in one sitting, right? It takes a whole year, <laughs> and then you have to repeat it and do it again. <laughs> but uh, the lessons of Sukkot, contrasting joy. You know, one of the things, and maybe we talked about this on the show before, but um, one of the things that hit me because we read read Jonah on Yom Kippur, and at the end of Jonah, I mean, so a wonderful story of repentance and and God bringing uh, giving the gift of repentance to those even outside of Israel. Um, causing jealousy in Jonah and, and anger and resentment, and then false joy. So when right. Jonah rejoices at the, says he has simcha uh, gedola, great joy with the little gourd, the kikayon that grows, and then but then he gets all upset when the next day when the worm uh, eats it. Man, he's having a tough time. In yeah, that but in but in Sukkot we're supposed to have joy. It says you'll have nothing but joy. Right for for this for the feast, and that's got to be real joy. It can't be. And so the contrast between the joy mentioned in Jonah at Yom Kippur over things of this world, uh, and then when it's gone, it turns to, oh, it's better for me to die. Uh, That category of of investment that we have in this world versus rejoicing in what is true and eternal, the joy of salvation, that doesn't fade away. That's eternal. And so Sukkot to me that's the joy and so that one of the challenges then is this time of year is along with the season of repentance and and trusting in god's forgiveness um and uh, anticipating that joyful celebration in eternity uh together with all the elect uh we also have that challenge still in this world of evaluating our priorities which am i calling anything joy that's not really joy in god's eyes uh, you know is my are Am I properly prioritizing kingdom values over against things in this world? And we don't learn that instantaneously. Right. We learn this uh, sometimes by the wisdom that is transmitted to us from elders, people who have gone and more mature, you know, than us on the faith, or or being corrected by others, or or just being uh, stubborn and about a path and being wrong, and then the Lord kind of letting us kind of get a taste of it, uh, and then you know whether it's a pinch on the ear or a whack on the rear 
to get us back on track. You know, we, he guides us and teaches us uh, through the long haul, you know, as we persevere in faith. Right. Um, and uh, anyway, so that's so just I, so actually, all that's in my mind from Sukkot. Kind of on that note, uh, one of the things that I've thought about this Sukkot is the idea of, I've really been focusing on like uh, Psalm 1 and the idea of the difference between those who walk according to what God wants and the Torah, as opposed to the wicked, Right. Who are like the chaff right. which is blown by the wind. And like your to your point of joy, like even when we're in dire distress or when we're when the you know, it feels like the waves of the world are crashing down around us or whatever, those who are those who are in covenant relationship with God, at least they have something to lean on. If you don't have that, what do you have? You have I mean Right. You just tossed here and there, right? So uh, Connie says, great to tune in from Switzerland. Man, wow, that is so cool. That is so cool. Um, okay. Well, we hope that everyone listening and everyone watching had a wonderful Sukkot and fall festival season. Uh, we don't have another biblical festival until the first month of Nisan when we will be back to Passover. But of course, we have a couple of fun holidays in the middle like Hanukkah and Purim. Hanukkah and Purim, yeah. A very good time. Okay, so uh, this show, Messiah Matters, is brought to you by TorahResource.com. You can find all sorts of stuff relating to the festivals on TorahResource.com. Go to TorahResource, hover over library, and then somewhere down in there, there's something that says um, the uh, festivals, biblical festivals, and you can click on that and find all sorts of fun stuff there. You can also be a part of this conversation. You can do that by uh, calling in. And we actually have a couple of uh, uh, messages that we're going to listen to today from our call-in line. The number is 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You can also send us emails, cheg at torresource.com, C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. And uh, for those watching, I put up our producers, uh, associate and executive producers for this show, uh, in the credits at the beginning of our broadcast. And this is the last week for, actually, it should have already turned over, but um, I'm a slacker. So I gave them an extra week. But uh, so if you have not purchased a associate or executive producership, you should do that right away. You can do that by going to torresource.com, hover over TR Radio, go down and hover over Messiah Matters, and there's a pop-out that comes out. And you can read all about what it means to become an accredited uh, executive and associate producer, how much it costs and how long it runs for and all the perks that you get from doing those kind of things. Okay, with all that said, and of course a huge shout out and thank you to all of our supporters. Supporters for as little as $5 a month and have access to Messiah Matters More, um, which we put something up new last week for Messiah Matters More. And uh, so hopefully we'll do that again maybe this week. I'm not sure, we'll see. Um, okay. Let's get into it. We have some... Uh, should we do the kosher one first? Sure. This call yeah. is so... This, yeah. So normally what we do... <laughs> normally what we do is we'll take the uh, messages that come in on the line. If we're going to play them on air, we'll usually cut them down. So it's just, you know, 30 seconds or something. That way it's easy to get through them. And uh, But this gentleman's message was so good. It was a little humorous. I mean, there's humor in it. I don't know if he meant it to be a little humorous, but he sounds like a funny guy anyway. Um, and I, I, I honestly believe that a lot of our listeners could probably do this show better than I can um, in terms of, of, you know, getting. We're to actually looking for a replacement <laughs> for Caleb. <laughs> Thank you. Also, you also have to be able to produce. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but this message was so good that we just thought, let's play the whole thing. And oh yeah, this is this this warmed my heart. It did when, me when too. Caleb played this for me. I was like, "Thank you, Lord." A, I didn't. This adds another little place on our map. Wow, someone in the Las Vegas area is listening to us, right? With as a as a couple, husband and a wife, <laughs> and right. by the tone of his voice, I would say he's probably our elder, Caleb. I, I, I mean, I'm I, assuming I, yes. Uh, and that is a, another joy and an honor and a, and a privilege. And so. Um, and I just, I just love, uh, I, that's all I can say. My heart was warmed by this. So I actually cut off the ends, uh, and I took out his last name, but besides that, this is pretty much his message through and through. 
Hey, good morning, you guys. Uh, this is Greg calling from Pahrump, Nevada, a little town near Las Vegas. <clears throat> we, My wife and I uh, watch your show quite a bit, and we really enjoy it. Uh, one thing, it, it does give me a lot of anxiety sometimes. Sometimes you guys take a little while to get to the point and the subject matter. We've okay. I gotta stop. We've heard this from multiple people, and I it's apologize. So true. For it. it is so true, and we know <laughs> it. But that's just—I mean, it's just the way that we have structured this show. The funny thing is, is that he says sometimes it takes you guys a long time to get to the point, but then it takes—and this isn't a dig on him. It's just really, it's really almost humorous to me. It takes him about a minute to get to the point. <laughs> you kind of uh, you know dance around it a lot, but. Uh... <laughs> That's how it works. Anyway, I was t talking, uh, calling about the food uh, deal. Uh, I watched uh, you and I watched Caleb and Tim talk about this, and I watched, of course, uh, uh, Caleb and Rob talk about this today on one of your things from a couple weeks ago. Hang on, just a second. I want to stop again. He, he's talking about uh, the conversation that we had about Jeff Durbin uh, calling uh, anyone who, what does he say, erects the uh, kosher laws uh, is a, is in capital H heretic land, and I keep waiting for you to to, to cover food, and uh, you you never seem to get to it. Uh, you know, first Timothy talks about uh, uh, abstaining from certain foods, uh, which those who know the truth uh, will understand, or something like that. I guess I should have gotten the scripture out so I could read it to you, but I'm sure you know what it says. Well, the whole secret is the thing that's staring everybody right in the face is food. Leviticus 11, 1 to 47 tells us what food is. Right. So it's not abstaining from food, it's abstaining from unclean stuff. Uh, that What is food has already been established. So it's, uh, you know, that's and to know the truth, and of course the truth is Torah, according to uh, uh, Psalm 119, verse 142, your law yes. is truth. Yes. So those who know the truth, those who know the Torah, will know what food is. Right. And uh, I'm sure you guys know all this stuff, but sometimes it helps to bring it to remembrance. Also, the same thing goes for Mark 7, verse 19, therefore making all foods clean. All foods are already clean. If they're not clean, they're not food. <laughs> Perfect. I, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, well said. Points and, and... all around. <clears throat> excellent points all around. And and his 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 point is well taken because if we look at the the passages that he brings up, okay, like for instance, Mark seven, the point that is being made is what's in your heart, right? Someone tried to bring up Peter's vision uh, in Acts on online. Well, Peter's vision has nothing to do with food, right? It has to do with, with I mean, obviously, he, he says take and eat, but the point of it all is don't call any man unclean that I have made clean. In other words, you're saying that the Gentiles aren't clean to eat with. Well, stop. Why Why would you do that? So in other words, right. in it all was, these instances... And that, revel that was to Peter, Right. That I'm was, sorry. But, what did yeah, I say? It wasn't. A, it wasn't a revelation to. It wasn't like, you know, to all the people of Israel. Right. That that vision was given just to Peter because Peter needed a little kick in the rear. Right. Because he was hesitant to eat with, with Gentiles. Right. Uh, and we know that from Galatians too. We know the same issue where Peter was was hesitant. Peter had his own issues to, you know, we all have our own issues. My, my, my dad, God is, God is long suffering and patient with us to, to correct us over time. My dad one time said, I remember this vividly. I don't know why, but we were, uh, we were on vacation. Somebody was challenging my dad on his uh, interpretation of, of the kosher laws. I think Mark uh, seven was brought up and my dad said, yeah, making all food clean. Well, the Jews wouldn't have thought that, pig was food any more than you would think that if grandma keeled over and died that you could right. cut her up and, and have a slab exactly we have to understand that mark 7 same as matthew 15 is is between jewish polemic groups right it's between one jewish group that has added other intensities and and stringencies 
and then they're judging other Jews for not adopting the same stringencies. Right. So, uh, and they were suggesting that the food that was on the table somehow, because the disciples hadn't washed their hands, had they had somehow defiled food that normally would have been acceptable. Now, right. so, well, we're not going to eat that now. Yeah. You went and touched the, the food, but you didn't do the hand washing ritual. Right. What are we going to do? Right. How and you dare have you? these <laughs> rules of men that are like right. getting in the way. And, and, and so uh, I, anyway, again, thanks for the, the email or, or the voicemail in this case. One, one thing, too, when you leave us a voicemail, it allows us to hear your voice, which for me, I'm an, yeah. I'm an audio kind of guy. So I, I really enjoy being able to hear people's voice. Oh, that, um, that, you know, once again, that uh, call was just a, uh, that was a joy. It was really, you know, it, not only did he have really good points, but you could tell that he, you know, uh, well, he look had out, you know, he's, that's the, that's the tone too. I mean, this is someone who's probably been through their own maturing lessons and, and refining, but they're going to be able to talk with local, you know, Christian people come to their door or they're right. wherever, um, out talking with people and being able to talk about the scriptures without getting excited, you know, like me, you know, <laughs> you know like cage stage, like <laughs> your, your pastor's lying to you. <laughs> okay. We got another call. We got another call before we uh, go to our next call. Uh, I should note that I'm actually wearing a Torah resource Institute shirt. Classes started yesterday, but that doesn't mean that you have to not right. sign up. You still have time. You have a week left to sign up for classes. And if you're going to sign up for a, a language class, like beginning Hebrew or beginning Greek, now is the time to do it. Don't wait. The reason why is because this is the only time you'd be able to sign up all year until 2019 to start a language class. So if you want to start, go to TorahResource.com right now, hover over Institute and go down. Just the first one down is the 2018-19 uh, registration. Register now. Do it. Uh, we got some great classes. And uh, Rob's teaching Greek again. Uh, my dad's Ooh, teaching I'm Hebrew. I'm really grateful. I'm excited. We've got almost, I think, 10 people uh, yeah, embarking on this journey. And that's what it's like. The, I think journey is a good metaphor for it. You know, we're, uh, uh, we're going to go on a big hike, kind of, and we're going to survey the land of, of Jewish Greek. And it's, uh, it's fun. It does take discipline. Your 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 feet will be sore at the end of a long day, <laughs> but you'll be glad you went. Okay, so let's move on to our next uh, our next uh, message that was left on our answering machine. Um, and for those who want to know, the number is two five three four six five thirty two zero five. There it is on the screen. I'll leave it up for a few seconds. Um, this call I actually did edit, and so um, this person had a quick question. I think that this shouldn't take us long at all. Let's let's take a listen to it. And my biggest question, which I've been studying now for quite some time, is is the calendar issues going back to biblical sources, to outside biblical sources. Um, who's right? And if is there a case where anyone's right? Because it just seems like the modern Hebrew calendar is corrupt and off-cycle. And and we have the Enoch calendar. There's so many calendars out there. How do we decipher what to use? So this is a question that comes up a lot. And the reason why is because it's very uh, common within the Messianic and Hebrew roots movement that your teacher, that the teachers out there are going to say, oh, yeah, we're going to cite the moon ourselves, which uh, that's not how it ever worked in the first century. We know that. Um Different uh, different groups in the first century all wanted to cite the the calendar, so they all had their own people, uh, official people, to cite the calendar, cite the new moon. Um, and the interesting thing is, is that there is significantly good evidence that the sighting of the of the new moon shifted. They would move it up to a day, two days, and sometimes even three days. Um, that could happen for multiple reasons. Clouds is one of them. Um, all sorts of stuff. And they would also figure out how to intercalate the year. They would do that according to, uh, well, according to the Mishnah, which is later, obviously. But um, the Mishnah, I think, gives seven or nine reasons why they would intercalate the year. One of the things that you never have happen in the Apostolic Scriptures, the New Testament, is Yeshua coming and saying, you guys are off. I can't believe you're celebrating Passover right now. Or 
I'm not going to celebrate Yom Kippur today because it's not the right day or whatever it may be. Okay, you, you never have this argument going on in the Apostolic Scriptures. There's no calendar issues that go on. What, and every time that Yeshua goes to the temple, what happens? People are there. People are celebrating, right? He's there on the same day that everybody else is. What does that mean? It means that he took the authority of, the, of whoever was uh, citing the moon, which was most likely the Sanhedrin at the time, and he fell under that authority. In other words, the majority when it comes to calendar issues is the authority. And guess what? The majority of Israel as a whole, as a nation, as whatever you want to say, has accepted the Hillel 2 calendar. I, I see no reason. What's, I see nothing in Scripture that would tell us that we would do anything else. It's extremely innovative. It's one of the uh, masterful things that ha happened when they set the calendar, when, they set, when Hillel 2 set the calendar. An amazing thing that he did. And uh, Israel as a nation and as an entire people group accepted it because it worked for people out in the diaspora as well as people in Jerusalem. And so to me, I think that Yeshua accepted the authority, that kind of authority, and I think we should too. I don't understand why anybody would do anything else. Uh, you know, I say if it's good enough for Yeshua, it's good enough for us. And if the Sanhedrin of the time was willing to switch days to, to cite the new moon up to three days late... Um, and he still followed it. I don't understand why we would do anything else. What are your thoughts, Rob? Well, our evidence is, you know, I, this is where I kind of have to put on a historian hat and just say, okay, you know, what's our, what's our evidence? <clears throat> and so it is a complex problem for sure. But, um, but yeah, it's clear that, you know, Yeshua went up, it says as their custom, he went up. Uh, because his parents went every spring to celebrate Pesach in Jerusalem, right? I mean, we're told that. We know that uh, Acts chapter 2, which we might touch on today even for another reason, is Shavuot, and there's people from all over the diaspora. Well, all these people from all over the map, I think if you actually look at all the places listed, it's like this giant map of the world, like uh, north, south, east, west. And how did they all know when to be there? You know, they knew there because there was already, in my view, a some sort of fixed calendar. People knew in advance when days were going to be. Okay, hang and on. They, and, and they know that. And, and we knew that because I mean, we have even all the way back to the, the Jewish community in Egypt, the Elephantine, which is called Yeb. But we have Aramaic manuscripts from that community, and they use the Babylonian month names. You know, like Adar and, uh, uh, you know, all the different month names that were used by the Babylonians because the, the Babylonians also used a lunar solar calendar and they also intercalated. So the calendar is not. Uh, so actually, that's one of the that's <clears throat> I'm sorry to catch you off, but that's actually one of the discussions that's going on in the chat room. People are saying, as I understand it, there were uh, there was differing calendars in Yeshua's time as well. That's true. There were, right? Oh, yeah. The, the, the caller talked about the Enoch calendar. Well, that's if you're going to go there, that's a 364-day calendar. That's a solar calendar right. and independent of the moon. And, and it's you can't. And that's why, you know, I've talked to people recently. Oh, Enoch, you know, what do we do with Enoch? You know, well, you know, Enoch, the calendar in, in Enoch, and it claims to be a revelation from like the angel Uriel or something. Well, it's incompatible with the Torah of Moses, right? And and same thing with the book of the calendar of the Book of Jubilees and the the calendar that we find at Qumran, three hundred sixty four day calendar. Well, we really hit a, a hornet's nest here. Look, for people in the chat room, I understand that there were different calendars in the day of Yeshua. Okay, right. But the 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 people running the temple the Sadducees or whoever was running the temple at the time wasn't catering to everyone's the Qumranis couldn't come down to the temple and say, well, we're actually five days ahead of you. So we'd like to sell We'd like our, 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 uh, Passover sacrifice back today. No, that never had that. We have no evidence whatsoever that, that at the temple, they were celebrating more than one calendar. There was one calendar that they were celebrating at the, at the temple. And PJ notes that, that uh, even though it might have been cloudy, there was 20, 29 to 30 days in every month. 
That is also true. But there's multiple reasons why they would wait to, to sight the new moon. And it wasn't always when the new moon was sighted. We have evidence of this. The point is, is that it they shifted it. And according to what was going on in the temple, where Yeshua was and where the disciples were, and when they were celebrating the festivals, they went by the majority calendar of the temple. We we have no evidence. What's I know people have tried to argue. Right, and, there's like the only calendar disputes. Yeah, it, that there's there is no dispute as to in the apostolic writings as to which day this day or that day. Somebody else says the Samaritans kept different holy days. That's true, but guess what? The Samaritans weren't going up to the temple and celebrating and, and having their their uh, their Yom Kippur sacrifice sacrificed right. five days before the, the uh, temple service. It just didn't work like that. The point is is that within, within the temple service and this is where, you know, Paul is going to the temple service and he's he's celebrating there. Yeshua is going, he's celebrating in the temple and celebrating the festivals in the temple, which includes sacrifice. The disciples seem to be there and uh, celebrating in the temple, right? So in other words, and they're there during when the big crowds are there, they were following the majority calendar. They were not under a Samaritan calendar. They were not under the Essene calendar. They were not under an Enoch calendar. They were under the, the calendar that was going on in the temple. That's all there is to it. We have no evidence whatsoever of anything else. Right. And we have it. I will agree that the calendar is imperfect. I mean, there's oh, absolutely. No, so the issue, but there is no. It's the best solution, right? The the rabbinic calendar is the best solution. It preserves the best of evidence of what we have from the Pharisaic calendar, which includes affirming Purim and Hanukkah. And we know that it, at least there's in my reading of the Qumran material, we don't have any evidence of. Purim or Hanukkah being uh, celebrated at at Qumran, and we do have evidence that they believed in a because they had a solar calendar. They didn't dispute about what days were Shabbat, but they did have a dispute as to what day Shavuot was. So there was uh, evidence of some calendar dispute in the first century but concerning if you were to push to this lunar sabbath where people are saying the sabbath is determined by the moon that's that's hogwash don't oh, the, don't yeah. even give that the time of day we have no history in any jewish history of a dispute about what day the shabbat is um and trust me if there was a if there was if if there was someone who believed that sh that the jews were if there was a jewish group that believed that the shabbat had uh there was a dispute about that. Trust me, we'd have evidence of the dispute because it, it would have registered. So here's the other thing, and and this is maybe a, a footnote to the the larger conversation. I understand completely that there are those out there, including scholars, who have put forth the idea that Yeshua was on the Essene calendar, and this is why uh, it seems like he's celebrating um, two different Passovers within John and the Synoptic Gospels. I've worked on this extensively. I've spent months uh, working on, on uh, this very issue. Um, I think that not only does Petrie uh, show good reasons why this is not is total nonsense, but um, Jeremiah does as well. Good scholars have refuted this and shown that this is just simply not true. And I think Petrie is, uh, you know, my father has too. Um, Petrie and my father have put forth, uh, I think, clearly the uh, best uh, uh, calendar for what happened of uh, you know the the chronology of the of the crucifixion and the Last Supper um, that that's been proposed. So um, I think that that's um, I essentially can consider that to be put to rest. Okay, let's see here. It's uh, we've been going for about not long, not long. Good, we got plenty of time. Let's go to our discussion about Elijah. Uh, this is an interesting one, and I think it's an interesting one because Rob and I disagree, and that's always fun. Um, so here's an email. Is that, that permitted? <laughs> Are we allowed to do that? Can I get? I uh, <laughs> um, Here's the email that Rob got. It says, according to Matthew seventeen ten through twelve, is it your understanding? Okay, hang on just a sec. Before we go, I didn't even have this ready, and I apologize. This shows. This is how, from Scott. Yeah, this is how, it shows how unprepared I am. We're looking at Matthew 17, 10 through 12. Let's read that really quick. It says, And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. 
But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they please, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Okay, so now let's go with uh, with Scott's uh, uh, email. He says, according to Matthew uh, seventeen ten through 12, is it your understanding that there will be an appearance of Elijah prior to Yeshua's return? Or was Yeshua saying that John was this Elijah or both? The rabbis believe he will come before the Messiah, but this seems to set them up for deception by the, quote, false prophet who calls fire down from heaven, Elijah. According to the Greek wording in Matthew 17, 10 through 12, what do you think Yeshua was saying? Another Elijah besides John or no? Now, this is, I'll give you my opinion first and then then uh, Rob can tear it apart. Malachi 4, 5 through 6 says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord he'll restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the cho- of the children to the fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse so I see this as I think that uh, Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord which is yet to come and I think that so I think there there needed to be a precursor to his first coming too, and I think that this is where John the Baptist comes in the spirit of Elijah to to uh, hearken in the first coming of the Messiah, and that Elijah will come for the second coming of the Messiah. But I know that you disagree. Set me straight. Well, I just I I have to say I don't know, but I read Luke chapter one when Gabriel is is talking to Zechariah about his son to be born. He says, uh, he quotes Malachi. And so I take that to mean that John the Baptist, Yochanan Hamad Beal, is a, he represents the, the, well, he's a son of Aaron, obviously. He's a Cohen. And he is the herald of the Messiah. He is the Elijah figure. Um, it says, that, I, I want to I read what you're uh, referencing here. It's like uh, Luke 1. It's uh, Luke 1, 16 and following. And he will turn, the angel's now talking to, uh, to Zechariah. He says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before, it uh, will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord, the people prepared. Yeah. So I just read this, that this is, this is the closing the loop on the loop opened at the end of Malachi or Malachi. See, but right? I, I, you know, I see this as he says, Elijah will come and I don't see John as Elijah. I see John as in the spirit of Elijah. What do you, what do you mean? Elijah? Oh, that Malachi says Elijah will come. Right. Yeah. But then, okay. But then you, so you just move, so you just move the problem over to Yeshua saying, this is Elijah. Right. So, so in other words, you're going to say, where is it? Where, where? Well, I think he comes in the spirit of Elijah to, to, uh, to, as the precursor to the Messiah. Because yeah. doesn't I, Yeshua say, um, Elijah, but I say to you that Elijah all has already come in Matthew 17. Right. He, well, yes, but he, okay. But he, and he, he means that the first time, right? Well, here's the, here's the thing. Yeshua says, this is Elijah who was to come. But then John the Baptist himself says, no, I'm not Elijah. Where, wait, 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 where, where are you seeing that? Where are you seeing Yeshua calling him Elijah? Um, well, Mark, Mark 9, 13, I say to you, Elijah has indeed come and they did whatever to him they wished, just as it is written of him. Yeah, but th- he's talking about when Elijah was here on earth, like in the Tanakh. I don't no, see him. Reverend. He's talking about. He's talking about John the Baptist. I don't think that at all. Where are you getting that from? You. Okay, so let, let me let me make sure I'm understanding. You're saying that Yeshua does not call John the Baptist Elijah. Is that what you're saying? Okay, hang on. Let's read before he says, and as they were coming down the mountain, uh, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Right. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first. In other words, he is going to come first. 
to restore all the things. And how it how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did not did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. That's in Jer- that's in uh, that's in the the prophets. So that's in your well in Matthew seventeen thirteen. It says then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Yeah, I still think I still think that uh, I, I still think that Elijah's coming in the end. Okay, well maybe maybe you're right. I mean, I don't understand how the prophecy in Malachi hmm. could be true if Elijah doesn't come back. Oh well, I don't know. I, I guess I don't, I'm not seeing a problem. I don't have a problem. I don't see that as a problem. But why is that? Why do, okay, no no talk it out. T- help me with that. Why don't you th- see that as a problem? If it says Elijah's going to come back and Elijah doesn't come back. Are you, I mean, obviously, we don't believe I'm in reincarnation, so John the Baptist isn't actually Elijah. No, but it's been a, but, but Yeshua is not actually David either. But in, in Ezekiel and Hosea, it says David will be their shepherd. But that's from the line well, it's of ta- David. It's talking Eli- about Messiah. And then King David had already been dead and buried for for. But that's, centuries. But that, we're and ta- you have the prophet saying David will be their shepherd. Well, who's. We're talking a dynasty, King though. David? That, we're is that talking King David is going to come back and be their shepherd? No, it, it means within the line. But Elijah wasn't in the line of of uh, John the Baptist wasn't in the line of Elijah, was he? Well, we don't know. So uh, that's uh, Elijah's lineage is a mystery. He's called the Hatishbi, the Tishbite. We don't know if he was actually a Cohen or not. Some people say he was the spirit of of Pincus. I mean, I know that uh, this is conjecture. This which is, is which is priestly. This is me putting it, put, putting my own uh, ideas into the text. But I see, I see uh, Elijah as one of the, the witnesses that are killed in the street and left for dead. It it could very well be. <clears throat> could I mean it's Elijah and Moshe who appear with Yeshua and when he in his you know when he uh, is transfigured on the mountain. So that. that that could well very well be. I'm going to. Chalk, I just, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just saying I don't know. Uh, that's. I mean, I just I will, don't. Know. I will admit this. Until this email, I had never even thought of that. That I just always assumed that Elijah was coming before the second coming of the Messiah. That's that's the way I've always read it. Now, granted, that might be biased in the way that I was raised and or the way that I was taught. Well, but may, may, but I've could never. Be, it could be right. It could be right. I. I'm just saying. I don't know. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm. You know. I'm pretty conservative when it comes. I'm like a minimalist. It's like, you know. I lean towards the minimalist side of interpretation of scripture. So. Um, I don't understand how. I mean. I. I just. I guess. I don't understand how. John the Baptist would be called Elijah. Well, like in other words, to, when he that, says, so you have so okay, that's a fair that is a fair point. And Matthew seventeen, what is it? Seventeen thirteen is going to be a place uh, to chew on that. Oh well, just maybe that, they misunderstood when it says the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Does that mean? It seems like Matthew wants us to associate. Well, it seems like the synoptics. I agree that they, that John the Baptist comes in the spirit of Elijah, and he is the precursor to the first coming of the Messiah. There's no, I, I mean, I am fully on board with you on that. Right, right. But you're saying it's not the literal fulfillment of Malachi. Right. That's okay. what that's what I would think. But maybe you know, maybe. And I, I would say that. I would say I, I'm leaning the other way on that. I'm leaning that when Gabriel t- talks to Zechariah and cites Ma- Malachi, that that teaches us to to understand that this is a closed loop jessica says but but you're but i i am totally open and that's where where i don't know is that is the nature of you know prophetic fulfillment can have multiple different kind of facets to it so um i'm open to it i i maybe maybe people missed it but two people have said what about the possibility of of the two witnesses in a revelation being elijah yeah i said that Right, that's and that's what I understand. And the other one might be Moses, right? So that, yeah, but uh, Jessica says, wasn't uh, Jesus talking about Elijah being present at the uh, Transfiguration, and John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah? So in other words, I think what Jessica's saying is he did show up, he did come on the Mount of Transfiguration with the other witness, with with Moses. the other witness with Moses, 
Right. So, but that, but, but we're not going to suggest that that's the fulfillment of revelation, right? Well, no way. I mean, it's a, it's a snapshot to the future, right? In other words, the, the transfiguration is then a, a, a glimpse into Yeshua's glory being revealed, you know, in his, in his return that Moshe and Eliyahu will be, uh, heralds of that. Good gracious, there's a lot of conversation going on in Good. the uh, chat room right now. Somebody says, Caleb, could uh, could be biased if from Passover wrote uh, of hiding the Afikoman. Mm, yeah, maybe. I, I more take it from the, uh, you know, I, I admit that within Judaism, there's a lot that could, could be said here. In other words, within Judaism, they could really push the Elijah uh, ticket within their theology from the time after the Messiah comes to basically say, in other words, it comes into the uh, to the apologetics of, of Judaism after the first coming of the Messiah. Oh, well, Elijah didn't come first. So then we see this kind of thing happen a lot. <clears throat> oh, and the, and the Talmud and the later rabbinic Midrash, and then later, especially in the Kabbalistic uh, world from the medieval the Zohar through Safed, etc., they have they have all these claims to Elijah the prophet uh, revealed right. himself to me and taught me this and that Torah and, and oh all the Mirkavah literature comes from the idea of, of yeah. Elijah so in other words yeah. Elijah so becomes they, this this right I'm sorry Elijah becomes this main figure and he's this, present they, at the circumcisions right at right the yeah and, and basically they t- they hang their hat on this idea of Elijah which I understand chair for him at the seder etc yeah. But um, but at the same time, I, I, and maybe that's where my bias comes from, is the fact that uh, Elijah is pushed within Jewish theology heavily as the precursor to the Messiah. But that could, the reason it's so uh, heavily put into Jewish theology uh, from the time of Messiah on could be because it's an apologetic against Christianity. I, I admit that fully. Uh, Michael in the chat room says, I know some who don't sing Eliyahu Hanavi because they believe John was Elijah based on Matthew eleven fourteen. Let's look at that. What's eleven uh, Matthew eleven fourteen? So okay, uh, that's the song. It says Bimherab uh, Yamenu, right? It quickly in our days, Yavo Elenu, He will come to us, Imashiach Ben David, with with Messiah, son of David. So the idea is the song Eliyahu Hanavi, right? That. Uh, what it sounds like Michael saying some people won't sing that traditional Havdalah song um, because it implies a, a future coming of, jo- of John the Baptist with the Messiah. Um, so it says this. It says and only- the association, the the priestly association of separation of of holy right. from profane, right, light right. from darkness, etc. Uh, I, I think Jessica's point is well taken. In other words, Elijah. What? Someone said, "Sing Sing it, Rob." Rob. Uh, I I think that uh, I think that uh, Jessica's point is well taken. That Elijah did show up on the Mount of Configuration, Transfiguration, Configuration. What do you think? Um, So when we say when we say, "Come, Lord Jesus," right? That says at the end of even so, come right or uh, Maranatha, come, our Lord, right? That that. We're also implying that Eliyahu, and and then why not Moshe too? Um, why not? Why do we should should we develop that? Then maybe we don't need just an Eliyahu Hanavi song. We need an Eliyahu and, and Moshe song. Yeah, exactly. Because they're they're both coming with Messiah. The two, if they're the two witnesses again, this is for me. I I consider this speculation. I I just claim I don't know, and I'm open to definitely open to chewing on it definitely something that i need to think uh, i think rethink um yeah okay let's move on Uh, we got one more uh main topic here and this is on the holy spirit now this is quite a long email that was sent and i didn't actually edit it i probably should have i just realized why we have such a low showing in the uh in the chat room today it's because i didn't show send out show notes (laughs) totally forgot sorry everybody okay um, this is uh, sent in to us. They say, I thought an interesting topic for your show might be the great unselfish, unselfish evangelistic zeal and power from the Ruach, that's the spirit, we see in the book of Acts. Side note here, I've been studying the book of Acts for the past couple of days. Um, I'm preparing to 
uh, go through the book of Acts with my small group. So uh, I'm, my mind is very much in Acts right now. We have seen pockets of this type of witness for Yeshua and his uh, kingdom occurring throughout the centuries in the body of the Messiah, even now in certain parts of the world. Other sincere folk insist this ended after the uh, uh, apostolic period. The question would be, why is this no longer universally the way uh, ministry is accomplished throughout the body? If it has been documented that many, even people who have experienced miracles, particularly healings in meetings in the poorest parts of the world, haven't necessarily come to a saving born-again experience. Yeshua himself was, uh, was perturbed by people who were more concerned about the signs and wonders he did as opposed to his message. There are many who teach the, West, the Western church is just too self-oriented, and that's why we no longer operate like this. In reading the Gospels, we see the disciples themselves were pretty hopelessly self-focused themselves when they were endured with endured with the power from on high. So I think he means endued. I think he does too. Or imbued or imbued, something. Yeah. Uh, so is there something else we are missing at work here? I have very specific uh, uh, ideas of this. Um. And especially with my, my father's recent lectures on the Holy Spirit, I think it, they've solidified more of the uh, uh, of my understanding of what was going on. Another great uh, plug there for Messiah Matters More, right? Because you have that. Is that part of it? Do they get to listen to those? I think, Ontario yeah, all, lectures? All, my, all my dad's lectures on the Holy Spirit are up. Anyway, uh, in just Messiah, side note there. Up in Messiah Matters More. Basically, I think that the uh, the output. First of all, it needs to be noted. This is one of the things that my my father uh, brought to light in those lectures: is that if you if you are a believer in the Messiah, if you have faith in the Messiah Yeshua, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't get more filled with the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not like I mean, it's like a cup that's full. Well, you've been sealed, right? Right. You've been se- uh, uh, with an arabone. That's what Paul calls it. So the point is, is that you know, fill me with the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something else that's you know, and we don't see anywhere in the Scripture somebody saying, "Fill me with the Holy Spirit." What does happen is that now we see at the end of Luke. At the end of Luke, what happens? Yeshua says, "Go to Jerusalem and wait until the Helper comes." Right until I send the Spirit. So then Acts picks up. They go from the mountain. They go back and they're waiting. Right, and then the Spirit comes upon them. But He comes upon them to accomplish a very specific work, and that is to do exactly what Yeshua had said: "Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations." In other words. This is how the Spirit is going. The Spirit comes on them and and gives them the. It's like unlocking the the uh, ability to take the the uh, gospel now to the nations, and this is how the Spirit comes on them. Now I'm not saying that this doesn't happen still today, but I don't think the mission is exactly the same. Is the mission to take the gospel to all the nations? Yes, absolutely. But the gospel has been taken to many, many nations already. So the point is, is now it's more specific, I think, in our time. In other words, we see like the uh, Azusa Street uh, revivals and these kind of things. Well, this is a very specific place in a very specific part of time to specific people. It's not every believer. So when I walk into a church and people are, you know, rolling around on the ground and, and speaking in, in gibberish and these kind of things, this is not what I see in, in Acts at all. I see that they have a mission to do. The Spirit comes upon them to enable them to fulfill that mission. And they go, and the, basically the book of Acts is exactly that. It's a chronology. You know, there's a lot of debate within the scholarly... I know I'm talking a lot, but give me just a second. There's That's a lot right. of scholarly debate on what genre of, of writing Acts is. Because Luke, from the same author, Luke is, is a biography of Yeshua, right? It's it's the bio, biography of Yeshua. So then the question is, was well, what is Acts? Acts isn't biography. Well, it could be. I I'm I'm going to argue that it kind of is. It's biography of the Holy Spirit, especially depending on on what uh, uh, Luke's uh, Christology is at the time. Um, it certainly could be bi- biography of the continued work of the Holy One. That is through either Yeshua or the Holy Spirit. But the point is, is that you, you know, a lot of people say it's history, historiography. Well, it could be all Holy Spirit, even the even 
Luke, because what does it start out with? It starts out with the priesthood and a, a promised child of a barren woman, an elderly barren woman, just like Holy Sarah, yeah. who is filled with the Ruach even right. in the womb. Right. And is and so you could, I don't know. So you could maybe make that argument too. Keener, Ke- Witherington says it's historiography. Wither, uh, uh, Keener says it's a historical monograph. And that would be like, it's history, but with a focused point. In other words, he's trying to highlight a focus point. And I, I would accept that too. I mean, he's talking about the focus point is the Holy Spirit, right? Taking the, the gospel to the nations. So granted, it's not biography of Paul, though. A lot of people have suggested it should, like R.C. Sproul says, some people have suggest, suggested that it's it should be called Acts of Paul and because it's a biography of Paul. It's not a biography of Paul. It leaves Paul in, in, in Rome, right, on house arrest. Right. Right. So, you know, it's not, it's not biography. Anyway... All this to say, the work of the Holy Spirit, taking it to the nations, this is what Acts is all about. So now in our day, what is it that, can the Spirit come upon us? Absolutely. And empower us to do specific works. I think that happens often. And I think that that can happen not necessarily in, you know, new languages or any of this. I mean, when you're talking to someone on the phone, and this has happened to me a lot. We get a lot of calls here at the at the office, right? And people people are experiencing life, right? Uh, things happen. People die or, or marriages fall apart or, um, you know, people are are uh, making trouble in communities and all, all sorts of stuff, right? And we get these calls here at the office. There's a lot of times, and all the guys at the office here have said the same thing. There's a lot of times where I'll be talking to someone and I don't know what to say. Lord, help me. Help me talk to this person. And, you know, the right thing will come to mind or... And this is an empowering of the Holy Spirit. I believe that. I believe that the Holy Spirit still continues. But I think that it's for specific works. And that's why it's different. That's why it might look different today than it did then, because they had a very specific mission that was very broad and very wide. What are your thoughts? Well, I uh, back to Acts, thinking of Acts and the Holy Spirit. We know, uh, and, and obviously this is built off the email we got, uh, the question about the Holy Spirit and is um, people not having the experience of the Holy Spirit or something like that. I don't remember exactly what the wording was. Um, but Acts, it, it, the, how does Acts end? It's Paul is not, and he's in house arrest, yes, and it says even Jews, local Jews are coming. Right. And, they're, and he's instructing them from the law of Moses from the prophets talking to them about Yeshua. And it says some believe and some don't. And the ones who don't, he, he cites uh, one of the last scriptures, I think cited in all of acts is uh, Isaiah six. Well, did Isaiah prophesy, you know, you know, uh, you have eyes, but you don't see, you know, you have ears, but you don't hear, etc. Um, He's not, he, in other words, it's not like everybody who comes to Paul in prison, he just lays hands on him and, and says, you know, receive the, you know, receive the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden they believe. No, it's, 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 he's using humans. He's using a human who has the Holy Spirit, Paul, who knows the gospel and knows the scriptures back and forth and has street cred because right. of his educational background. And, and then, and he's, he's instructing, he's, he's, he's preaching, he's instructing and he's, he's doing it from the scriptures. And while doing that, there's a division. Some believe, some don't. And that's what we see, but that's how Acts ends. But we know that that split happens every synagogue community goes to, except I think, I think Berea, I think in Berea, it says they all scriptures believed and they searched the scripture, right? And so you, so, um, Sometimes it causes a lot of trouble, and that is the nature of this tree that that Paul would write about, like in Romans eleven, for example. Where there's, how do you explain all this? Well, there's some branches that were broken off, and then there's some branches that are grafted on. He's trying to give a metaphor for for understanding this work and the growth of the of the of the body of Messiah in the earth. It's not all just oh, um, you know, everybody has this amazing. Uh, speaking in tongues kind of experience. Um, but, but you know, and you could say, well, it's maybe more the Gentiles that ended up speaking in tongues uh, rather than Jews. So uh, I don't know. So, so um, Paul, 
It's good to see Paul in the uh, in the uh, chat room. I've met Paul face to face now, so it's always nice to to know a face. Anyway, uh, Paul says the Et Sefer has an extra chapter in Acts. Where does this come from? Um, oh my goodness! He says it's chapter twenty nine, and it talks about Paul leaving Rome and oh ministering. Oh my goodness! All the Stay way away from to, that. Please uh, don't. <laughs> yeah, that's. So the, uh, here's the thing: is that I know that there are actually there are a lot of different texts. It's a bunch of lore that that accumulates down the road. Yeah, so I, I know that there's extra. Or there's a lot of text tradition around, and we've talked about this on this show around Acts. In other words, the Western text has ten percent more, um, and a lot of the ten percent more in in the Western text are things like, and then he stood up, and then he said, you know, that's not just these little extra. It's kind of smoothing out the text. It's not really a lot. It, there, there's not anything that I would consider overtly theological, at least that I've read so far, and I haven't read the whole Western text on this. Um, but when it comes to a 29th chapter, I think this is, I could be wrong about this. I need to study this more, but I think this is added later. Am I correct on that? Oh yeah. Oh, the, the 29th chapter of Acts. Yeah. That, that is, that's later than, well, we, we already see that in some manuscripts. We see like the end of Mark added, right? like Mark 16, you know, and that's later. Um, but we continue to have this, this problem in later, uh, Here's the thing, because manuscripts multiply faster than the author than authoritative teaching. That's that's a core principle. So manuscripts get copied and distributed faster than than the oversight of of good stewards of the gospel, and that God let it be that way, and and we can accept that. But as a result, sound doctrine is a smaller sphere than the than the doctrines. Uh, the various doctrines that you find in different manuscripts and different canon models. It's the same example why there's an et sefer, because the guy who publishes it and is making money off that and selling it has absolutely, no, I mean, I've watched him talk about Hebrew. The guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Okay. We're, getting, we're getting off topic. No, here, but so anyway, but the point is this, is that, <laughs> that this is a, this is a, a very real issue in the history of, of, uh, manuscript copying and then people adding things that they think should be in scripture. Um, so, so, but he yeah, it's not. Helen says Yeshua is always with us. Thus the spirit wouldn't leave us. No, that's correct. Expressions of the Holy spirit. Is that what is in question here? Basically what I, what I see when, when the spirit is given in acts in acts two, right? I think that it, that the, the disciples are not all of a sudden getting a spirit that they like being filled with the Holy Spirit where they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit before. Paul and my father talked about this as well. In other words, in his lectures, in other words, people have always been saved the same way. And we're told by Paul that a person who uh, who believes is filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what's this is the saving power of the spirit. Right. The, the power of the spirit drawing a person. So it brings a person to salvation so this has always been the case so what happens in acts i think is an empowering of the holy spirit the holy spirit comes upon them and empowers them in a way that they were not empowered before this doesn't mean that they didn't have the holy spirit before it means that they were not empowered in the same way to go out and speak in a language you know they speak in one language everybody hears in their own language this is of the holy spirit this is an empowering of the holy spirit um, for, God, for God's covenantal purposes. That's another uh, important facet to to the working of the Holy Spirit. There's there's the, the Holy Spirit never works in a way that is really the Holy Spirit that would be contrary to God's covenantal purposes. Right. Of the blessing of the gospel, which is like we learn from Galatians. You know, in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. That this blessing is. Uh, is a very is actual blessing from God. It's not curse. It's blessing, and there's all sorts of specific benefits associated with this blessing. But that, but the Holy Spirit is um, operates in the world as to fulfill to bring this this blessing to fulfillment. So, and and the fact that it's the Holy Spirit, Ruach Hakodesh. This it's a spirit that whereby we, re, we, we cry, Abba, Father. We want to do God's will. We want to seek to understand his values, what he calls good, what he calls holy, what he calls purity, what he calls righteousness, what he calls love. 
and we want and the holy spirit guides us in as believers in discerning and privileging those things above any earthly value right and if and if someone uh is saying the holy spirit does something other than that then sure they can use the word holy spirit if they want uh but um but I think biblically, it's important for us to remember that, that this is a God's covenant purpose. It's, it wasn't a brand new idea, God. Oh, well, you know what? The Torah didn't work. What, what could I do? I guess I'll, maybe I'll send Yeshua. We'll see if that happens, you know, and then, then maybe, you know, we'll see how many people accept it. You know, that, that's not, Helen how, has a, that's not the proper way to think of it. Helen has a, a follow-up question and it's a good one. Um, she says, so we should expect this different expression if we already believe and have the Holy Spirit, right? So it depends what different expression you're, you're, you're talking about. So in other words, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're, our bodies are a temple for the, for the Lord, right? And because we have faith in Yeshua the Messiah, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that too often people think that uh, this, the Holy Spirit coming upon us and or empowering us to do a specific work is going to be seen as this magnificent acts experience. You know, I, you know, I prayed and all of a sudden new words came out of my mouth and, you know, I saw a light from heaven or what. I don't think it's always like that. I think sometimes it can be a steering of your conversation or bringing to mind scripture when you need a scripture brought to mind in a conversation, or it can be, I mean, there's all sorts of different ways that the spirit can empower you to do something that he intervenes in our lives to help us uh, do do something that is his mission, right? His his mission for us. And Paul talks about this in Romans, right? All things work together for good for, for those who love me, right? For those who love him. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. Um, so I think that we, I think the spirit empowers us often to do all sorts of different things. But I don't think it's what people normally think of in terms of the, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit come upon you. Not that it's not a, a powerful thing to have the Holy Spirit come upon you and empower you to do a work that he wants you to do, but rather that it's not always, sometimes maybe it is, but it's not always lights from heaven with, you know, angels singing in the background. Now, maybe sometimes that is the case when we see things like huge revivals and, and the leading of the Spirit when it comes to full communities of people. We saw this in the, in, I mean, even the Jesus freak movement of the sixties and seventies, right? You had these, these people who were drug addicts, uh, and, and caught up in all sorts of things that all of a sudden are receiving Christ and turning their entire lives around. Now, granted, they didn't get it all right, <laughs> right away. Right. But that, but it was, it was, uh, it was a moving of the spirit. I don't know. I'm sure we'll get a lot of uh, um, a lot of emails on this one. That's been a good conversation. Anything else you want to say about it? I was just going to look back to Acts 11 because when he Acts 11 is where Peter gets questioned by some others are saying, "Well, you went and ate with uncircumcised men. What's going on?" And then he tells he relates the vision to them, and um, he says at the end, he says. Uh, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he did on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Ruach HaKodesh. Uh, therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he gave to us after believing in, in the Lord Yeshua, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Okay, so that was Peter saying to the, the brothers. And then, then when they heard it, they quieted down and glorified God then, glorified God saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance unto life. So in other words, the receiving of the Holy Spirit that um, Peter is describing because of the vision in Cornelius' house, these brothers hear that and they say, oh, this means God has granted to these Gentiles Repentance. repentance right so it's the same thing so um if someone says they've received the holy spirit but they haven't repented of sin and and seen that yeshua is their uh salvation that their forgiveness is solely and only and exclusively in yeshua then but they've had an experience of like uh, feeling really uh, elated or, or what's the word um ex like some sort of uh spiritual ecstasy or speaking in tongues, but they don't have a repentance of like, wow, this is a, a dark, 
depraved heart. Right. And they're, they're, I, I, I have no life in me. I am dead. I observe, I, you know, and I, uh, rejoice that I've been given this gift of life by, you know, and, and that, and so, and I, I can understand that as we learn people, again, God can give you, he'll, he'll give each person, you know, what they need to, to instruct them. And that starts with a little breadcrumb, right? Right. Sometimes. And then he'll give them another breadcrumb and they start to discern that, uh, more and more. And so there is a growth. We don't just download the whole Bible or, you know, into our brains and understand everything right away. That'd be awesome. So, though, wouldn't it? So I wonder, I, I get, I guess I wonder on that point, is it possible that some of the different denominational, well, did you receive the second infilling or did you receive this other thing? What those are, those are, those are way, attempts to try to put mileposts along the path of discipleship. Right. right. Um, so jo know. Joseph says, we're people filled in the Tanakh. That means filled with the spirit. <clears throat> this is actually. Yeshua even says it. Yeshua right. tells us. Yeshua says, uh, David spoke by the Holy Spirit saying. Well, you know, my, my father did a fantastic lecture um, in in Ontario. It was the second one he did. Uh, were believers filled or were people filled with the Holy Spirit before Acts 2? And uh, his conclusion is, yes, I would encourage you uh, to, to um, if you have access to Messiah Matters More, I would encourage you to go and listen to that. It is a fantastic lecture. You know, we're going to be coming out with all five of these lectures uh, for D on DVD and audio download uh, very soon. And when we do, I think one of the, I think that might be the lecture that I put up. I'm, I usually put up a full lecture out of these series, and uh, I'll probably put that lecture up for everyone to watch whenever they want on our YouTube channel, um, just because it's a question that we get asked so often. And it's one that I think is important. All right. Well, this has been a good conversation. Join us next week. We have no clue what we're going to talk about, but I'm sure it'll be something good. We want to thank all of our supporters uh, for supporting us on a monthly basis for as little as $5 a month. It really is because of, of our supporters that we're able to continue this show on, and, and we are truly grateful for it. We hope that this conversation has uh, highlighted uh, something new for you and that you've learned something. But most of all, we hope that this conversation has done one thing to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.